you may have realized that being healthy feels different than it did in the past now that you're over 50. If you want to maximize your health potential but don't have time to read through overwhelming pages of Google links, this is the show for you. Welcome to Healthy Tips After 50. We love doing the research, finding solutions, talking to health experts, and learning what works and what doesn't. Now, your host. She spent the last 25 years dedicated to feeling her best and is here to share her best findings with you, Susan Rosen. Hello, this is your host, Susan Rosen. And today's topic is something I came across in a short article um, when I was looking for what it is that I wanted to talk about. So the article is about the continuing question of who is included in clinical trials for new medications and procedures. And then I took a deep dive into the public medical government archives, better known as PubMed, to look for any studies about the rates of inclusion for women and minorities, in particular in any of these clinical trials. Other than just what you would think about equality and inclusion in tests, the biggest issue here is that there are physical differences across or between genders and minorities, ethnic minorities, that influence how a new medication or procedure helps or actually might hurt a patient. So this is not a new issue. In 1993, there was a an act called the Revitalization Act. And that act mandated that women and minorities be a part of all future clinical studies. But it's like no one paid any attention. Why should I be surprised? At least none of the male researchers who have been running most of the trials, both before the Revitalization Act and since. So there have been some additions to their ranks, but it's still nowhere close to being equal or representative of the population at large. For instance, in 1998, the number of women researchers on the editorial boards of some of the cardiology journals. Now, don't you can remember that the editorial boards are the ones who decide who is going to be able to publish and who is going to be in their journals. Okay, so and the number of women on some of these editorial boards was six percent. And then in 2018, that number had jumped up to 13%. So you're talking about 20 years and it's doubled, but women make up more than 50% of the overall population. So 13% just, you know, doesn't cut it. A study was published in February of this year, which is 2020, that looked at the number of women included in cardiovascular disease trials from 2010 through 2017. Now, mind you, cardiovascular disease is the biggest killer of women. The study looked at 740 trials and found that only 26.26% of the people included in the trials were women. In another study published in May of this year, 2020, showed that only 36% of the participants in 143 clinical trials of new heart medications were, were women. Year over year, that isn't much better than the 30% women included in the 325 cardiovascular disease trials run 
between 1997 and 2009. If you're wondering why that's such a big deal, after all, medications act the same way for all genders and races. Well, you know what? That's not true. It's a big deal because medications and procedures affect men, women, and ethnic and racial minorities differently. And if those medications and procedures are not tried on everyone, there is a good chance that it will negatively or differently affect some of the population it's meant to help. An example is the insomnia drug, better known as Ambien. Women don't metabolize it nearly as quickly as men do. And women started having car crashes when they were using Ambien because it was not keeping them up or the other way around, sorry. It was that they were not being able to get to sleep. And so they were falling asleep in the car. So the FDA changed the dosage for women. Well, yeah, it is not surprising that the male medical establishment assumed that whatever worked for them would work for everyone. And in addition to gender and race differences, there are also age differences. Our systems slow down and can't metabolize or sometimes even dissolve pills due to low stomach acid. There have been trials on medications for diseases or conditions that primarily are found in people over 65, and that is who they should be populating the trials with. Over the past 15 to 20 years, the number of women and minority researchers in academia and at the pharmaceutical companies where I have worked have grown exponentially, but it's still nowhere near parity with their percentages in the overall populations here in the US or in the UK or Europe. And that is even more true of the people who are on the editorial boards of the journals and make the decisions of what gets accepted and what gets published. The world is still in many ways, not just in the medical and research fields, run mostly by white males. It is all changing though, and I have high hopes that it is moving in the right direction and will pick up speed as it keeps going. In the meantime, if you're diagnosed with an illness or condition and your doctor has recommended a particular treatment or given you a specific prescription for some medication, be sure that you ask her or him how well either of them were studied in people like you. In other words, your age, your gender, and your ethnicity. And if he or she doesn't know, then I would ask them to research that before they prescribe anything for you. That is the least they can do as your doctor, and it may create an awareness on their part that can then get passed along to the people they work with and for in their practice. It has to start somewhere, and it may as well start with us. So I have a, still have a little bit of time here left in today's podcast. So I thought I would talk a little bit about berries. Not quite so serious, but just as important to your health. And I wanted to talk about how this is such a good time of year to be eating fresh berries. Blackberries, raspberries, blueberries. There's other ones out there as well, goji berries. If you like them as much as we all do then you may appreciate some of our little, or my little tricks and my husband's, for freezing the berries and eating them all year long. Blueberries 
I find are the easiest to freeze and then eat months later. We buy them in any of the different size plastic packages, you know, the little boxes, pint, 16 ounce, 18 ounce usually is what they come in. And then I just take it and I put it right into the freezer as soon as I get home. I don't wash it. I don't take it out. I just put it in the freezer. They can stay there for months and months and they don't go bad. And when you want to eat some, you pour out however much you want or you need, wash them at that point, and then put them in your cereal, ice cream, or whatever you like to eat it with. And when I say wash them, you don't have to use soap or anything. Just put it under the water and then drain it. Berries like raspberries and blackberries do better if you wash them and let them dry completely and then freeze them on a plate or pan, not touching each other. Then you take those frozen little berries and you put them into some kind of plasticware, Tupperware or whatever, and put them back in the plastic, or you could put them back in the plastic container they came in. That works too. And then put them right in the freezer. And again, they'll stay for months. Maybe not quite as long as the blueberries, but close. And you can defrost them in small amounts and just put them into your cereal bowl in the fridge until you're ready to eat them or whatever, however you're going to use them. They do tend to get a little mushy when they defrost. But if you divide them up into separate dishes, like into different cereal bowls, you can use them over the next few days and they're still sweet and tasty. Be sure and put some plastic wrap over the top of the bowls to keep them fresher. And don't forget that you should buy the organic berries because there are some very nasty chemicals that get sprayed on non-organic berries and you really don't want to eat that with your cereal or anytime. So berries are full of really wonderful things like fiber, vitamin C, beta carotene, folate, potassium, flavanols, flavonoids, other polyphenols, and anthocyanins. Not that you really need to know what all those are, just know that they are really good for you and that these berries are full of them. And eating berries have been shown in studies to help your blood vessels in functioning. They increase your HDL, which is the good cholesterol, and they also help in burning fat. And elderberries in particular have been shown to help support your immune system and fight off colds. That's why there's so many cough drops and things like that out there that have elderberry in them. And of course, The berries are so yummy because of all the good things about them. And you don't have to feel guilty about eating them all year round. So that's it for today's show. A bit shorter than usual, but lots of very valuable information. The most important takeaway, and I'm going to repeat it again, from today's show is to always ask your doctor and your pharmacist whether the medication or treatment you are receiving has been studied on someone like you and what came out of that study. You don't want to be a guinea pig. You want to be the recipient of good information and have an understanding of what kind of reactions you may have to the treatment. I hope that all of you and your families are doing well and that you're not feeling stressed and overwhelmed. If you are feeling stressed, please reach out to contact me and I would be happy to have a call or Zoom call with you to support you in any way I can. 
You can contact me at Susan at SusanRosen.com or send me a message on Facebook or on my website, HealthyTipsAfter50.com. Remember that I am not a doctor and this is not medical advice. If you are in need of medical care, please call your own doctor or go to an emergency care facility. If you have any suggestions or areas of interest that you'd like me to talk about in future podcasts, please send me your ideas. I'm always looking for new things to talk about and research. You can send me your ideas again at my email, same one, susan at susanrosen.com. Don't forget it's R-O-S-I-N. On Facebook or comment on my website, healthytipsafter50.com. Hope you all have a good week. And I will look forward to talking to you all next week. This has been Healthy Tips After 50 with Susan Rosen. To stay on the cutting edge of the most effective health strategies, subscribe to this podcast and let us know what you thought of the show with a comment or like on iTunes. Visit healthytipsafter50.com for this episode's show notes, more resources, and free offers.